0: Umbilical pathologies, including umbilical hernias, polyps, and granulomas, are some of the most common consults a pediatric surgeon will receive. Today, we're joined by Dr. Mira Kotagal, a pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's, and Dr. Jillian Goddard, a pediatric surgery research fellow at
1: Cincinnati Children's,
0: as we review the basics on umbilical pathology.
1: Let's get to it. Hi, my name is Mira Kotagal, and I'm a pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Today, we're going to be reviewing umbilical pathology. A six-month-old infant presents with an umbilical bulge.
0: What is on your differential diagnosis? The history and
1: physical are really important in the evaluation of a young child with an umbilical bulge. Your differential diagnosis includes an umbilical hernia, which is obviously the most common, but they may also include other umbilical pathologies, such as a urecal cyst, a patent unphalomesenteric duct, umbilical granuloma, or an umbilical polyp. They could also have a hernia of the cord, or in some instances, if there's significant erythema, you might consider umphalitis. The presence of umbilical drainage may help you distinguish whether or not it's one of these things. Uh, urine, obviously, draining from the umbilicus would be associated with a patent urachus, whereas if you see succus, you might consider it a patent and duct. It's usually, however, not that clear. There's some drainage, there's something that you see on the clothing or on a bandage, and it's not totally clear where it's coming from. So you also have to think about the fact that granulomas can cause some intermittent serosanguinous drainage as well.
0: If the ultrasound turns out that it's either a patent urachus or patent omphalomesenteric duct, how do you explore
1: it? So in general, if the ultrasound shows one of those things, then our next step is usually an operative exploration. In many of these patients, you can actually do a ligation and division of a patent urachus through an umbilical incision. So we make a similar incision that we would make to an umbilical hernia repair in a curvilinear fashion in the infra-umbilical space and dissect down. You can then identify the attachments from the umbilicus to the bladder or to the intestine and track those down in order to divide them. If you're doing a uracal remnant, then you wanna make sure you track it all the way down to the bladder and usually repair the bladder at that level in two layers. For a painted emphal mesenteric duct or an mesenteric remnant, You want to track that down to the intestine and resect it at the level of the intestine, but you don't need to do a small bowel resection. What is the difference between an umbilical granuloma and umbilical polyp? So as we noted before, a lot of this depends on physical exam. An umbilical polyp is a small remnant of the umphalomesenteric duct, which happens to extend from the umbilicus. Usually this is something that we can excise. You can either tie it off and ligate it in the clinic and divide it, or tie it off and let it fall off over time. An umbilical granuloma is granulation tissue or asymptomatic pink tissue that usually is at the base of the umbilicus. We often see that in very small infants shortly after the umbilical cord has separated, and the treatment for that is silver nitrate. How can you differentiate
0: between an umbilical granuloma and an umbilical polyp on physical exam?
1: Differentiating between the two can actually be quite challenging and is a really important part of your physical exam in order to know how to treat this. Usually the most successful way is to use a q-tip or some sort of implement in order to be able to kind of spread open the belly button and look down at the base of the belly button. Mm. If it's a polyp, you should see a little bit of a stalk and be able to move that tissue around a little bit more freely, whereas granulomatous tissue may be more stuck on kind of at the base of the belly button. What are risk factors for an umbilical hernia? The primary risk factor for umbilical hernias is prematurity. However, we also know that we see differences in umbilical hernia rates depending on race. African-American infants are eight times more likely to have an umbilical hernia compared to Caucasians. Let's say you diagnose a one-year-old child with an umbilical hernia. When should you fix it? So for umbilical hernias, we generally wait until the patient is at least four years of age before fixing it. Some recommendations suggest that the lower age limit is two years of age, but most people elect to wait until they're about four years of age. And that's due to the fact that 85% of infant umbilical hernias will close on their own. Small defects are more likely to close spontaneously compared to larger defects, those that are over a centimeter or a centimeter and a half. And particularly, we will sometimes approach closing really large hernias earlier if children are symptomatic from them or if they seem that they're so large that they're unlikely to close spontaneously. If you elect to delay the hernia repair and to close closer to four years of age, then you should counsel the family about signs of incarceration or strangulation, including abdominal pain and vomiting, skin changes, or a bulge that is not reducible. Could you quickly talk us through the routine pediatric umbilical hernia repair? So routine pediatric umbilical hernias are an outpatient procedure. They usually involve an infra umbilical curvilinear incision, although some people will elect to go vertically through the umbilicus. Once you've gotten down to the fascia, people will encircle the stalk, umbilical stalk and then divide it. Once you've done that, then you want to separate the hernia sac from the skin and fascia in that fashion. It allows you to identify the fascial edges and then to close the defect primarily. Unlike in adults, we generally don't use mesh for the repair of a child umbilical hernia, but it is really important to make sure when you do that repair that you get all the way back to normal fascia and that you're not closing hernia sac to hernia sac.
0: How would your surgical management change with the proboscis?
1: For the most part, Even though children may have a very prominent proboscis and a lot of extra skin at the side of their umbilical hernia, you generally don't need to resect any of that skin or perform a formal umbilical plasty. Usually, just tacking down that skin at the center of the umbilical hernia repair is sufficient and the redundant skin will improve over time. In instances with significant excess skin, you might consider an umbilical plasty, but you have to be careful in order to make sure that you create what is cosmetically consistent with a normal umbilicus. Now that we've worked through umbilical pathology, what would you say are some of your key takeaways from today?
0: It's important to remember that umbilical pathology is varied, and a good history and physical is really important to differentiate them. For umbilical hernias, most spontaneously close by four years, so you can repair at that point if it doesn't close. Umbilical polyps are common and can often be managed non operatively in the clinic. For other umbilical pathologies, ultrasound can help identify the pathology and direct your surgical intervention. That's our app on umbilical pathology. Be sure to let us know what thoughts and questions you have.